This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to episode 154 here of the Huskies Warming House podcast. Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson here for probably one of the most exciting shows that we do every year. We finally have the regional predictions. We are ready on the men's side of things to get this thing rocking and rolling on the women's side. Frozen 4 just completing. So we're going to talk about that obviously as well and kind of dive into everything related to the NCAAs. Now it is officially tournament time and then some here for every group and then of course the nhl as well minnesota wild continue to roll here and uh yeah they might be making a push for the top spot in the central division so we'll talk about that but the question is who's going to be actually covering them in the near future valley sports our extra ice session they are officially bankrupt as listed this past week so we're going to kind of dive into that as well too you won't want to miss everything in this show and we start as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Lighter than normal, shall we say, uh, in terms of the uh, news and notes here this week, uh, this weekend. But to be expected, right, where uh, the big topics of conversation will be happening, all things surrounding the Frozen Four, both women's and men's side. So uh, the one question or the one trend actually I have is the QMJHL um, expected to ban fighting. Uh, at the start of the 23-24 season, pending ratification of the proposed rule change. Um, Officials have already been kind of cracking down on this. Um, Essentially, uh, since 2020, and the whole idea is they've been trying to enhance player safety. They've been adding such things like a uh, 10-minute misconduct uh, to the usual five-minute major for the infraction. Um, The extra punishment has apparently worked in sort of essentially de-incentivizing players starting fights um and the league has only recorded 0.07 fights per game last season um now no this is something that the ohl and the whl um is apparently looking at but it does not appear that they will join the qmghl in this ban now mind you all three of those leagues are big all part of the big the chl right the big canadian uh, hockey league the junior system up there uh 
are you surprised by this or I suppose what what do you make of this? I mean, they're not the first league up there, obviously, like you kind of mentioned, to really make any sweeping changes. Um, it, it is weird that they just, you know, they talked about it being a very black and white issue. And as we know, with fighting, especially at the NHL level, it is anything but right. You know, in terms of hockey history, um, I'm not really point sure. I think that it's really interesting. That the league talks about only point zero seven fights per game last season. I mean, that's not exactly astronomical by any means. Um, but at the same time, I mean, kids are, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. So I, you know, that's something that, you know, obviously can change in terms of, you know, the age groups, you know, them being so young and, you know, not instilling that standard in the game. So surprising, maybe a little bit, but uh, I, I mean, it's not a bad thing per se. I mean, we don't have fighting in college hockey for example, for example. So, I mean, it's not exactly, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be detrimental um, or it's going to be missed per se. I think really, like we talked about, once you get into pre- professional hockey, I think that's when you start to really see the difference. But um, for right now, I think it's, it'll be okay for the queue. And uh, speaking of fighting too, a, a big topic of the NHL winter meetings too. Um, and they've been talking about the, the instigating type penalties. Uh, we saw it this afternoon, actually, in the wild game where Matt Dumba laid a clean hit and then uh, they gave TJ Oshie um, two, uh, two, five and 10 for that. So the extra two minutes for instigating plus a 10 minute misconduct. Um, essentially, that's not exactly the same as the QMGHL, but it's pretty close. And the idea is we need to start if it's a clean hit, right? Uh, we need to start essentially tackling, uh, you know, the players that are retaliating. Now, we talked about this at length, too, Noah, on how, how and why this happens. I know that for a lot of casual fans, they don't necessarily understand the intricacies of why a player would do that sort of thing on the surface level. It's certainly a multi-layered type, uh, you know, situation. It may be the best way yeah. to describe it. But um, I do think that the trend is correct. Uh, I do think that the trend is if it's, you know, where it's a clean hit and that, you know, you got, it's, I get it, right? You're trying to uh, sort of keep the waters calm. Now, I'm kind of curious now, and I I wonder, maybe this is a topic for another day. um, How does this get held up in the playoffs? Uh, Because we both know that the officiating, as much as the NHL likes to say that, it's the same rule book. They certainly do not call it the same. Um, You kind of wonder with, uh, especially in the first couple of rounds and how emotions can be high, games are tight, and uh, certainly physicality picks up. You know, this is something that they will carry into the playoffs. I would love to see, um, you know, how they would respond to something like that. But again, um, I get it on the youth level. I think that's the right call. Yeah, like you said, at the NHL level, a little bit different. It's interesting. It seems like, as you mentioned, every clean hit is suddenly punishable by fighting for whatever reason, you know, in the NHL. It's really because the stage fights really don't happen as much anymore, um, you know, and guys can't afford to be sitting for five minutes when you're rolling four lines, right? Think about how well, like, for example, Ryan Reeves was elevated to the second line after today's game on Sunday for the Wild. So. You know, I mean, you kind of need everybody at this point scoring. Of course, he had his fourth goal of the season today as well. So um, on the other side of things, though, our second to last topic, guys trying to stop pucks from going in the net. Uh, The Sabres signing goaltender Devin Levi from Northeastern, three-year entry-level deal. Um, He'll be with the big club for the rest of the season once he completes his immigration process. Um, This is coming from general manager Kevin Adams. He talked about the plan, um, getting him into some practices, and didn't rule out him seeing some games here for the Sabres. So that obviously would be really interesting. Uh, 66 games for him, uh, two seasons with Northeastern, a 942 save percentage and a 
1.9 goals against and a 742 win percentage. Some pretty sparkling numbers uh, for him, of course. A lot of accolades for him as well, uh, including the Richter last season. So he was a Florida Panthers draft pick, seventh rounder, um, but his rights and a first rounder were sent to the Sabres for Sam Reinhart last summer. So uh, Devin Levi wishing him, obviously, the best of luck in his process there. And then on the injury side of things, uh, the Canadians, Christian Dvorak, undergoing season-ending knee surgery. The Hurricanes, Andrei Sveshnikov, also done for the year with ACL surgery. Um, in Colorado, Arturi Lekkinen is out four to six weeks with a broken finger. And the Penguins, Dmitry Kulikov, week-to-week with a lower body injury. And welcome into the main portion of the show, the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson alongside Noah Grant here. And of course, uh, I am up in Alaska hanging out. Everyone likes to reference polar bears up here. And I, you have to go way north to really see polar bears. But I have seen bears up here and got some pretty good photos of them. So um, it's been pretty crazy up here. I did not go up to Fairbanks about three hours from Anchorage and comfort the Nanooks any, unfortunately, for not making <laughs> the NCAAs. Boy, what yes. a tough what a tough uh, draw that was for them. I mean, they were essentially one spot away from, mm-hmm. you know, having that thanks to, I believe Colgate would be the, would be the team that Perfect. would kind of throw in there. Although it almost ended up being Northern Michigan on top of that as well, too. We'll obviously dive into that, but it's been, been pretty fun here being up in Alaska. But other than that, Nick, you were actually at the NCHC frozen faceoff last weekend as well, too. So a lot yes. of things that I think we're going to dive in, but obviously I'm assuming that experience was probably a really good time. It always is, right? The NCHC, um, of course, Michael Weisman, who uh, kind of directs the media side of things, always does such a phenomenal job. Uh, the commissioner, Heather Weems, and of course, all the players, all the coaches. Uh, there's one thing that I think separates the NCHC, despite you know what we see on the ice. It's the it's really the people away from the game. Uh, you know, they're they're class A people too uh, to cover, to chat hockey with, chat life about. They're just wonderful people to be around. So always great to cover that league and the frozen face off. And I think for certain fans of this channel, uh, we're very happy with the result too on Saturday as well. Yeah. And I am too. I'm going to emphasize that we're going to dive oh into boy. that apparently. Um, yeah. I, 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 on the surface, I can understand people's frustration, but we'll dive into that obviously. Also, I believe you saw a warming house shootout uh, at the X or are we officially marketed in Minnesota wildland here? No, or what's that all about? In passing, uh, you know, <laughs> was, uh, you know, a lot of St. Cloud fans uh, made the trek to St. Paul. So I ended up uh, chatting with uh, a couple of people down there in, in passing, uh, mind you, I'm a lot more dressed up than I am now, but uh, uh, had a warming house shut out there on the uh, on the uh, the the. Uh, uh, the first floor there at the Excel Energy Center. So it was kind of fun. Uh, you know, it's always great to interact with the fans and uh, to know that they're paying attention and, uh, you know, trust what we say sometimes because I, I know I don't trust half the things that I say, but it's always good to, <laughs> good to hear that somebody is listening to us. <laughs> yeah, well, according to some, apparently I'm a fraud. So um, we'll, we'll dive into I that. I had a feeling, you know, and if I might be too, but that was a, I think that tweet could have been worded slightly differently. Yeah, I think we'll we'll, we'll yeah. dive into that. Um, yeah. But it's hard to encapsulate that in 160 characters. Um, so we'll encapsulate on this show here, I guess. If you would have changed, would have made it a whole a, a lot of difference. We'll put that. Yeah. Way. Oh well. <laughs> um, is what it is. I, I think people who know the game know. Um, but nonetheless, we'll talk about that. Obviously, we got to recap everything first, though. Of course, a lot of championships going on here. Let's start with the Big Ten championship. Uh, I want to say a bit of a surprise, but really not really. I mean, a one goal hockey game in this one, you know, Michigan winning four to three. I, I think a lot of surprise in this. I yeah, just, I think. Yeah, I think a lot of Gopher fans were, um, you know, a little disappointed, obviously, with the result. But I mean, oh, again, sure. 
one goal hockey game. I mean, two of the best teams in the country, you know. So well, and you know, that's this was, I think, uh, an elevated Big Ten because they wanted that redemption. Um, because I think, you know, at least for the fans' perspective, right? Uh, they want, you know, they wanted that, okay, you know, even though it's a, it's a conference championship game had, you know, they want it. I mean, it doesn't change the seating for them the way that things played out anyway. But you, you know, what, like we talked about with St. Cloud, right? And some of the reasons why uh, I was talking with some of the, uh, the HP folks here for this last year. And they, they looked at this weekend and said, I'm, I'm not sure if they have much to play for. And I strongly disagreed with that uh, because it's not that, you know, it's the win versus loss. It's more about how you feel your game is and how well you're playing heading into the tournament. And it's kind of feel like for the, for the Gophers fans, they felt like that was a needed redemption to kind of make themselves feel like we are the number one seed. You know, we can take care, you know, take care of everybody. But like you said, it's a one goal hockey game. Uh, is it a one-off? Sure. But, you know, now we uh, wait for the real one-offs, right? Uh, and they're just a couple of days away and uh, not too yeah. far away geographically either. So I get it, but two great teams going at it. It's a one-goal hockey game back and forth. You can't ask for much better than that. Yeah, definitely. It wasn't a blowout in one direction. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Uh, seedings, a little bit important in this one. Number 27, Northern Michigan. Number 13, Mankato. Um, boy, what a collapse from the Wildcats here. Uh, up, up two to nothing with about two and a half minutes left to play in this game. They allow uh, two, the tying goal coming with 57 seconds left in regulation. Then Mankato wins it in overtime to kick the Wildcats out and solidify Mankato's spot in the NCAA. How long was that review, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. You know, I, I tweeted out. We were, of course, all everybody was watching because we, we, again, two and a half minutes left. There was still two nothing Northern Michigan. We were essentially preparing for, you know, more chaos in the college hockey world up there in the press box in St. Paul. And then uh, watching the feeds, you see Minnesota State get within one. Like, okay, they'll, they'll make a push here. Then they they tie it. And then, you know, of course, you know, regulation ends and we're all sitting. I, I guarantee you, Don Lucia sit in the video replay box, you know, for the rest of the overtime, <laughs> uh, you know, especially this is goes. But, uh, yeah, de- definitely didn't need to go to review on that one. That was a clean goal. And uh, congrats for the Mavs uh, for yeah. sticking with it, right? You can say, and you collapse a little bit, but you kind of wonder too if uh, Minnesota State they've done that a couple times of late where they, yeah, they have turned it on late. And you know, that's the thing about Minnesota State, you know, they haven't had maybe the prettiest season, but they've been a really good second half hockey team. And you know, they've got a lot of veterans in that squad. Um, and uh, that's a squad that we'll be paying a lot more attention to also the next couple, uh, couple of days. We'll obviously dive into more of that, but yeah, crazy craziness down there. And uh, well, second straight Mason Cup there for the Mavs. Yeah, they did the same thing to Quinnipiac a couple of years ago in the NCAAs as well. And then, of course, Bemidji State. I mean, for whatever reason, these lower seeds give them a bit of a fit uh, when it comes to the championship game. But they're in the championship game and they're consistently winning, I guess, undefeated in CCHA 2.0 championship games. Uh, so I throw that out there for whatever it's worth. Uh, Hockey East Championship here, of course, we had four teams to start the weekend. 24 Providence was beaten by number five Boston University 2-1 to one in overtime. And then uh, could have, that could have, you know, ruffled some feathers. <laughs> yeah, I believe all four of the uh, the games on that initial night went to overtime. On the other yeah. side, uh, 25 UMass Lowell, 14 Merrimack. Merrimack winning 2-1 to one in overtime as well. And then Merrimack slotting against Boston University. It was BU 3-2 to two in overtime. Merrimack still safe with a loss in that championship game, but only barely uh, to get their ticket to the NCAAs. In the ECAC, uh, things that we probably didn't expect uh, for 500, please. Uh, Colgate, 
two to one in overtime over number two Quinnipiac, number twelve Cornell losing to Harvard at number six one to nothing, also in overtime, and then Colgate a three to two victory over the number six team in the country against Harvard to get their ticket in as the number fifteen seed uh, in the NCAA. So congratulations to Colgate, good for them uh, to find a way back there. And then number forty four Holy Cross, number forty three Canisius, Canisius three to nothing. We will not get the Holy Cross Minnesota rematch that I think everybody wanted, unfortunately. So uh, that was it on that side of things. Before, I guess, we look at the brackets, we might as well scroll down um, to the NCAA piece of this here. So it's probably a bit, or NCAA, NCHC piece of this. Probably the only time we'll stick that in with the men's recap here because it's only fitting. Uh, of course, the Friday game, Colorado College, number 36, beating number three, Denver, one to nothing. And then North Dakota losing in overtime three to two to St. Cloud, and then St. Cloud beating the Tigers three to nothing for their second NCHC Frozen Faceoff Championship, their first since 2016. Um, well, do you do we want to start with the St. Cloud recap, or do we want to talk about the Tigers a little bit uh, and their journey? Let's let's do this. Let's do Friday's scores, and then let's just go in chronological. That makes okay, sense. cool. Well, the t- this Tigers team, I mean, it, it wasn't exactly pretty, but I mean, Denver did not exactly come out you know, firing on all cylinders in that hockey game. Again, similar to kind of what we saw last year, like we talked about, um, you know, and Caden Berko was definitely exceptional, making a couple of key saves, and it was one goal. Hunter McCowan, what a shot. What a great oh. release he has. He's such a yes. hockey player. Um, you know, this Tigers team, like I, you know, we talked about this. I, they at least made it to the championship game, uh, you know, and for them to kind of be that Cinderella story and get so close, obviously was, you know, extremely important for them and, We'll dive into that a little bit more after we recap the other scores. But um, yeah, this Tigers team, when you watch the game, you know, there's some games where you have a low, low, you know, seated team and underdog and you watch it and you think, oh, like they're just hanging on for dear life. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're clinging on to a one goal lead. That wasn't really the case with the Tigers. They were the aggressor. They were on the attack and Denver didn't really feel like they were a team that was on the charge that the Tigers really had to fend off per se. No, and I, I think also one thing that I watched, I mean, CC played a smart hockey game, uh, really, just in terms of their structure, uh, really in terms of uh, defensive and neutral zone. Uh, and to the Denver side of this, we saw this last year. Um, I was in attendance to last year, and you could just see that Denver was not playing Denver pioneer hockey, right? Now, granted, you know, when David Carl was asked about it, and granted, there was a lot of talk also about uh, Magnus Corona coming out and, uh, you know, thoughts that maybe he was injured. And I think even CBS had, you know, maybe sort of put out that, that maybe he was still feeling it. And I personally, I think he still is. Let's be real at this point, whether at any level you're playing through some kind of injury uh, that just happens this time of year, um, said that, no, that wasn't the case. But uh, you could certainly see that Denver was not in any sort of, you know, they were not laying it all on the line. Let's put it that way. Um, they knew they were going to be in the tournament. Uh, I think you still wanted to see a little bit better of a result. But I think for David Carl, um, a lot of players back in the lineup um, that had also been out from injury, the only person that was missing that may have been a regular was Mike Benning on the back end. But everybody else saw time. And I think really it was, you know, trying to get your touches and your timing back. Um, and I, I think really... He would never, you know, admit this publicly, but it was a tune-up game for them. And for CC, you know, they played their game. Uh, like you said, they transitioned well. Uh, they took the opportunities that were given to them. That top line of Lab on McCown and um, was it? Uh, geez, I can't remember their first line center. It's just going to be really bad. But uh, 
just really when they were on the ice, they were dominant. In fact, really hemmed in Denver uh, quite a bit in their own zone. So congrats to CC. And, uh, you know, talking to uh, Chris Mayot, I got a little bit of one-on-one time with the press box uh, in between uh, some of the intermissions between St. Cloud and North Dakota. And, um, you know, he mentioned a, a phrase that I'll, I'll never forget this. First of all, wonderful human being. And uh, he was mentioning, you know, we had a great first half. Goes to the second half. It was tough. He goes, you know, when we ended the regular season, we had 10 wins. Go, we thought we were taking crazy pills. And then he goes, and now we're in the championship game. And now we're still taking crazy pills. Like he just, you know, uh, he just couldn't, couldn't really believe that's like, you know, they expected to be better on the win loss column. He's like, we, we definitely thought that we deserved better than what the record showed. And look where it got them. Uh, and I, I know we, we kind of toot our own horns with this, Noah, but we had this team making steps. And if you watch the the press conference video I posted on College Hockey West, uh, the emotion from Chris Mayotte, the emotion from Brian Yoon, their captain, their fifth-year captain, both outstanding people, too, and even better hockey people. But the one thing that I took away from that was with Mayotte, he, he kept using the word expectation. We expected to be here. He really has driven a belief into that locker room that they can be competitive, that they can get and win championships. They were one game away. And that's a hell of a road that they've climbed in just the short two years he's been at the helm. And uh, looking around some of the junior leagues, you know, the the NHL, the USHL, they've got some pretty nice recruits that'll be coming to their system over the next couple of years. Uh, this is just a stepping stone for them. So as much as it hurts to say, um, you know, they had a hell of a run. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, I hope that they continue it, but hats off to them. Seriously, great, great season for them. And, you know, yeah, some, a, a team to watch, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely fantastic for them. We'll touch on them once we get to the championship game here. How did we get to that matchup? Of course, uh, it was North Dakota and St. Cloud State. What a hockey game this was. I actually thought North Dakota was probably the slightly better team at they times um, in terms of uh, their possession and stuff. Uh, as you look, uh, Huskies were 41% on the draw, 27 for 66. Shots were 25-21 in favor of North Dakota. Jackson Castor had a 9-20, stopping 23 of 25. And Drew DeRitter stopping 22 of 24 for a 9-17. It was not, you know, Drew DeRitter, you know, all things considered, that, you know, struggled in that one. I mean, it was – he was on it i thought uh you know for having it the year that he had um of course und got the scoring started ethan frisch a beautiful play from jake schmaltz Very and jackson nice. blake on the power play that was uh, gorgeous um and actually it's funny jackson caster still almost stopped that puck it went off the bottom <laughs> yeah. of the paddle um and kind of spun around in his hand so I thought Castro obviously had a great weekend that continued to build uh, as we went through. Vieti Mietnin, what a cannon from him. His 11th of the season from Cooper Wiley and Grant Cruikshank. Also on the power play, the Huskies tally. And then Judd Caulfield gets one, a greasy goal in the second period uh, to make it 2-1 to one North Dakota before the Huskies. Their lone shot on goal in the power play up to that point. Um, excuse me. Yeah. Um, Vieti Mietnin's was the lone shot on the power play goal. And then Yami Kranel had even strength his 20th of the season from Zach Okabe and Vieti Mietnin. What a great zone entry tic-tac-toe play. I thought for sure, by the way, yeah, yeah, I thought for sure, um, you know, that that shot was coming down the middle and then a great one-time opportunity. And then Zach Okabe, a beautiful feather pass from Kranel on the other side and Mietnin again for the overtime winner after North Dakota has a couple of chances. I mean, this hockey game was awesome in front of, uh, 10,242 people. Um, North Dakota obviously traveling very well. This, you know, this was a quintessential NCHC frozen faceoff game. And how sweet was it to see North Dakota get bounced uh, by St. Cloud in front of all of their fans? I, I mean, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was funny too. Of course, 
you know, social media wise, I live in the land of North Dakota. Right. And they constantly talked about it's so funny you know st cloud is such a joke st cloud what a horrible program this and that and i'm like you guys have had an embarrassment of riches for years at the program that you're at and you know i thought the calls both ways were a little bit soft they were i thought i thought it was consistent Mm -hmm. and that hockey game was about as evenly played as it could have been and the one call in overtime one was an all right call and it didn't end up deciding the game so i mean I don't know what you can really be upset about. The OT challenge was completely confusing. And last you yes. wrong replay. Whoops. Uh. <laughs> yeah, um, not really sure, but nonetheless, St. Cloud, um, a great moral victory for them. I thought overall they looked pretty good. I think the only thing that was concerning for me for the Huskies is I thought sometimes the defensive core, especially, was a bit too passive in their own zone, Very making so. zone exits and kind of you know winning plays or just kind of thinking, oh, we're going to run this little scissor play, reverse play, and kind of get things moving. I don't like that shouldn't be your first option. It should be, we're going to pick up this buck. We're going to snap it forward. We're going North here. And I thought that St. Cloud did a little bit too much East West or almost regrouping a little bit. Um, but other than that, goaltending was fine. And St. Cloud obviously got the job done. So um, uh, I want to touch on the zone and the zone exits also from St. Cloud too, because uh, you know, from the press box, you, you have a moving whiteboard view, right? Which I love that view. Uh, St. Cloud was pushing two, if not three, like three, their forwards outside, even at the above the red line, they really wanted to push North Dakota back to give them space. And, you know, I'm going to give you some sort of been something to watch. If you go back and watch the replay, I want you to watch one player and how he himself turned over that hockey game to be in the favor of St. Cloud. And that's Jack Peart. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a couple of guys to my left and right. I said, watch Jack Peart. He's got a great first pass. His IQ is there. I said, but here's the one thing that kills him. His decision to use his feet. Watch that goal to Cranola. He was the one that drove the puck right through the middle on his zone entry, dropped it. He made that whole play happen from the start of his own zone to the end. When Jack Peter is not afraid to use his feet and skate out of the zone, this team looks completely different exiting their zone. A lot of the times he's very complacent in setting up behind the net and essentially not moving and looking for that stretch pass, whether it's an indirect pass off the boards or someone coming through the middle. Uh, sometimes I think he relies on it too much. Um, and you could certainly see that in the second half of North Dakota. I think there was, there had to have been a conversation too with him because he looked like a completely different player in the second half of the second period and then the third. He just really was a lot more willing to move his feet to carry the puck on his stick and make things happen. So um, if that's the Jack Peart that we all hoped we'd see as the second round pick of the Minnesota Wild, that is, to me, the last piece of the puzzle he's got to figure out to be that complete defenseman. And if that's just a blip of what we can see, if he's like that at all during the NCAA regionals, um, that's Dylan Anhorn 2.0. Yeah, literally. So, and, and that alleviates the loss of Dylan Anhorn to, to a T. Um, and that's what difference is, is St. Cloud teams in years past, as we've kind of talked about them, like they have to, at some point, have a guy that's going to be a good first pass offensive catalyst. You know, I, I think the only other guy that maybe fits that mold a little bit is Andre Trayball, but he doesn't have the high-end skill, I think, that, you know, like Jack Peart has, for example. Um, and fans got to be patient with him a little bit. Like I said, it's a growing process. Same with what we saw with Nick Perbix. Nick Perbix wasn't molded into an NHL or in a day, right? It took time. So, right. um, all in all, good to see St. Cloud win that hockey game. And then they win, of course, the next night in front of just under 7,000 fans. Three to nothing over the Tigers. Yami Cranola, Grant Cruikshank, Kyler Kupka, tallying goals. Zach Okabe and Micah Miller 
Taylor and Crookshank tallying assist in this one. Actually, the Husky is still not great in the faceoff circle, all things considered. Nope. Uh, 28 for 60, 46.7%. Uh, did outshoot the Tigers 28-17, however. Um, the Tigers did not tally double digits in shots in any period. In fact, the only team to tally double digits was the Huskies in period number one with 13. Uh, Jackson Castor sparkling 17 for 17 and Caden Berko 23 of 26 for an 885. Definitely not on him uh, when it, you know, it could have been four. He had a couple of fantastic saves there uh, throughout the game. Yeah, definitely. And knowing knowing that the Nanooks were out after the Colgate finish last night, um, well, let's go back to Noah Grant's social media. Uh, why don't we <laughs> open this thing up? Because we talked a little bit about the Tigers, too. Yep. And so this is the tweet that I said. Um, probably could have been a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, and it definitely wasn't. But I said, oddly enough, um, I think this is the only time I've ever wanted St. Cloud to lose a hockey game. Nonetheless, great weekend for the Huskies and a hell of a season for the Tigers. Um and, I, and we kind of talked about it in our little MNCAA group chat, too, about kind of the rationale as to where I was going with that. And like you said, I, I think it could have been worded much differently. I, I think it was a a bit too on the nose for how, how I actually was perceiving the situation. I think people, yeah. like I said, you and I talked about this. You knew what I meant, but I think people who don't know me well thought that it was like a very direct, like, oh, I clearly wanted St. Cloud to lose, like, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and to kind of qualify that, it kind of goes back a little bit more to, um, in fact, I, I wish I would have saved the screenshot from it. But really what it goes down to is, obviously, I'm very happy the Huskies won. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, for them to get their second Frozen Faceoff championship and do it in the fashion they did, pitching a shutout, obviously entering the NCAAs. They've got four wins under their belt um, in playoff time entering uh, the NCAA tournament is a great spot to be in. Like, don't get me wrong. It was a fairly, especially the way that they had been playing up before. Exactly. The series. Yes. They knew. Yeah. And I, you know, not to cut you off, Noah, but I think yeah. the one thing that is kind of lost in all this is, and again, going back to some earlier comments is, you know, did St. Cloud need this for their, you know, to be in the dance? No, but I do think St. Cloud needed this win for their confidence and for, you right. know, the way that they feel going into this tournament. Now, you know, it would have been a devastating loss had they lost to CC uh, from the paper side. No, but you do wonder if CC had somehow come up with that, right? What does that do to St. Cloud's confidence? What does that do to their morale heading into this matchup now that we know, uh, is Minnesota State now that mind you that could have slipped them into a different regional altogether if that happened too. So um, hindsight's twenty twenty. We'll we'll see what actually happens and uh, unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you look at things, well, we'll have our answer in just about a you know under a week. So yeah, and I think like I said, you know, kind of going back to that too. It, really, what I meant by that was obviously we support the Huskies. This is a Huskies Warming House podcast. Like that's what we do. That's what we're, that's what we're here for. But at the same time, you know. Like you mentioned, St. Cloud didn't need the win and anticipating that if CC was ever going to come up with that hockey game, because St. Cloud was the much better team on paper. They showed it last night, yeah. obviously. But you would anticipate it to be a one goal hockey game, two to one in overtime, that sort of thing. Like it wasn't going to be a big spread. Um, and it was going to have to take a pretty gargantuan effort from the Tigers here. And I think where we kind of went, where I was going with this is really it's been so long since we've seen Colorado college in the big dance. 2011 is the last time. The last time they won a McNaughton cup was 2008. The last time they won their conference tournament, only the second time we've seen them in the NCHC frozen face off. And it's the first time we've seen them in the championship game. They're the first seven C to actually get out of the quarterfinals. And they did it in sweeping fashion too. Like you mentioned, 
Mm-hmm. And we we've talked about on this show how Chris Mayotte has built so many great things at that program. But when we think about the NCHC and we've had these discussions, right, talking about potentially Miami or Western Michigan lo- leaving this conference, that's where sometimes you need a little bit of a spark for some of these other programs, teams that really struggle with recruiting. Colorado college is one of them. They're competing with North Dakota. They're competing regionally with Minnesota, with Wisconsin, with Denver teams that have a much more storied history. They also have a weird school schedule in terms of their recruiting. That sometimes can be kind of an odd thing for some people as well, too. And they haven't had the past success that some of the, you know, these North Dakotas, St. Cloud Duluth that they've had here for the longevity of the NCHC it would have been great for that program if the Tigers were able to come up with an NCHC championship as a seven seed. I totally understand the argument. If CC wanted to be in the big dance, they should have won more hockey games. I totally get that. Like, I understand I think, that. I think everybody that's older than five understands that. Yeah, yeah, we get that. But because of the magic that they suddenly captured against a top 10 team in the country in Western Michigan, and then they were able to beat the number three team in the country in the Denver Pioneers to keep their season alive. Yeah, it would have been kind of exciting if they would have pulled off a two to one upset of the Huskies, knowing that the Huskies were in the big dance. If St. Cloud was 24 in the pairwise, wouldn't have even remotely had a thought about it. But I think knowing what Chris Mayotte has done, especially the huge jump from Mike Haviland's CC Tigers, and not and not anything against Mike, but just how difficult it was to watch that Tigers team play, how you knew they were going to get shelled and outshot by 25 every night to see the growth, to see a world junior net miner, Caden and Berko backstop his team for a couple of games and give them that opportunity. Yeah. It would have been fun to see the Tigers make the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately, it would have been at the expense of St. Cloud losing that championship game, but that's kind of where I was going is thinking long-term as a hockey fan, the longevity of the NCHC and really overall the excitement of having the underdog carry that success in a team and a program that yes, we're St. Cloud fans. Yes. At times we root for other teams, but you have to have your Miamis and your CCs. And for a long time, Western Michigan be viable in this conference yes. to make it matter. And I think it would have been great for the NCHC. It's a moot point. St. Cloud, got it done. I'm happy for them. I'm excited for the guys. I don't want people to think that I'm not excited or that I wanted the Huskies to outright lose, but I'm saying if St. Cloud would have lost a close hockey game last night, it wouldn't have been the worst thing all around for both the Tigers and for the conference of the NCHC. I hope that makes sense. I know you have some to add about that, but I don't know if I explained my perspective well enough, but that's that's and where at, I'm going to start. Well, and at the end of the day, two final points uh, before we, you know, go on to some other, you know, public conversation. No, is that one is uh, again after that loss by CC, right? Uh, Brian Ewan, uh, fifth year senior, who was essentially he admitted at the podium he was considering the transfer portal um, before the season, and he believed in Mayotte's system that he could win at Colorado College. Look at what that decision did. He got to an NCHC championship game. Granted, yes, their win-loss record wasn't necessarily reflective of the regular season, like a lot of progress was made. But I think you and I, Noah, when, you know, it's the win and loss, right? Just like plus minus, right? It, it scratches not even remotely the surface of what the, all that number entails. Uh, we, CC, really thought that they should have had a lot more wins, that they let a few games slip away. I'm, I'm with them on that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a Cinderella story, right? Um, CC and any team, and we've talked about this before, deserves a chance to have glory. And you need those teams, especially 
and, and I think maybe we don't emphasize this enough, knowing that is you can say what you want about Mike Havlin's squad, but Mike Havlin was he's out for a reason. Right. He, he just he was not getting it done. He was not getting the recruits. Uh, the system of play was not where it needed to be to compete in this conference. So I actually do put a lot more blame on Mike Havland uh, before the way that program ended up taking a turn. Right. Then you get a guy with Chris Mayotte, right, who has been with the uh, Team USA program, who's been with Michigan and as, a, as an assistant. Right. And immediately it wasn't just you know, a couple of years down the road, but he's made an immediate turnaround. They're playing a more NHL modern style of hockey, not just sitting back and trapping, right? They're getting interested players. Look around in juniors. Look at how many big name players that they're going to have coming into that program. That's from just the connections that you build yeah. from your coaching career, right? So uh, how, and I, I think to, to sort of bolster what you tried to say yesterday in social media, right? Um, yeah, minus the, I, I hope St. Cloud loses part. That was probably your worst part about the whole team, yeah. let's be honest, um, is that you really wanted to see a CC Tiger team that had been sort of everybody's, you know, sort of kicking can, right? And that sucks because, I don't know if you recall this, I had my own qualms at KBSC in the bubble where St. Cloud was down 3 nothing to Colorado College in the first period of the first bubble game, and there were colleagues of mine that were trashing the Tigers, and I said, and, 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 and more so also trashing the Huskies and, and almost like there's no way that the Huskies should be losing to this team. And I kind of blasted them on air. I said, no, CC is, is they're not a bad team. Yeah, they're not a great team, but that doesn't mean that they can't play well and be up three nothing. And that doesn't mean that our team is bad. It may be that they had a bad 20 minutes, but that doesn't mean that they can or sh that should not happen. Right. So um, you, you got to have support for these programs to elevate themselves back up to prominence, right? Because like you said, mm -hmm. it's about the game as a whole, right? Yes. Number one, obviously my heart was rooting for St. Cloud last night, even though again, working for a different affiliation, you want to see good hockey, right? And let's be real third period. So it's, it's a one, nothing hockey game, right? The longer yeah. that that game stays one, nothing CC had a chance, man. They had a chance um, uh, in that game, as long as it was tight. Now the, when it got to three, nothing, I think, you know, that was the mountain that they couldn't overcome. Again, Colorado College, that top line, great, but their depth below that just doesn't have that offensive pop like they need, but they will get there. Uh, but overall, happy for the Tigers, really happy for St. Cloud mm -hmm. is that they're building at the right moments, at the right time to get to essentially the best spot they've been in. And Brett Larson said it himself. I asked him this question last night in the postgame presser. Uh, Brett, it was just two years ago that you were a national runner-up. And, you know, every coach says, you know, this is that you takes, you know, losing one to win one. And I said, what lessons are you going to refer back to during that 2020 run that you will try to essentially make sure that you are aware of heading into this 2023 year? And he said, we're battle tested. And he goes, it's those in-game emotions, you know, whether it's, you know, he, he admitted, you know, at North Dakota's game. We thought at times that we were generating more offense, that we had the better grade A opportunities, but we weren't finishing. And there were times where North Dakota was doing a good job of, you know, coming over and getting in shooting lanes. And we, he's like, I could tell our guys were just on the edge of maybe getting frustrated, but we kept our structure. We stuck to it and look at where it got us. Right. So he's like, yeah. we just got to be consistent with our play, trust the process, trust the systems. If we do it and buy into it as a whole, that's how we'll get there. And let's be real. He's 100% correct. Because look what 2021 did. That's exactly what they did. They weren't yeah. the most 
prolific, high-scoring, flashy Minnesota talent, right? They're not going to be the number one team on SportsCenter with Rhett Picklick absolutely destroying his guys the uh, rest of his life on national television. But they all bought in, all 23 guys, and just came up short. So, uh, no. If anything, let's do it this way. Both CC and St. Cloud had great nights last night in their own respects, right? CC put a stepping stone that they can use for their next phase of the rebuild. And St. Cloud put a stepping stone essentially to, to resurrect what they thought was kind of a lost season for a little bit. And now we're on their way feeling probably the best they have all second half going into the most important time of the year. So I say it's a win-win. Yeah, definitely. And you know, obviously St. Cloud, like you mentioned, building block for CC, probably their best season in over a decade. You know, when I think about like when we saw them have success, when we saw Omaha climb, of course, before they faltered in the NCAA quarterfinals, seeing them jump back up to prominence again was really nice. They, of course, were in the NCAAs a couple of years ago as well, too. You know, and I think the last thing that I just wanted to add on this, too, is, you know, you and I do a, a podcast for fun, you know, and I yeah. think that that's there's no reason to kind of make it any more than that. Um, you know, and it almost, you know, if you're, if you're again, if, you know, for example, like when we talked about with go Huskies, woo, if you're, you know, if you're going to call me a fraud and call me a joke and that sort of thing, clearly you obviously have some sort of inkling that you have some sort of idea of respect for either of our opinions, yours, as well as mine, Nick, that you think it carries some sort of weight. Apparently, honestly, we just do a podcast. It's really not that serious. So I don't know why it ever got that serious. Honestly, you you know, you know, if I can break that down a little bit, because let's, let's do this, you know, you know, I, I think for any fan, right. Is you want to see, you know, the folks that cover your team, regardless of the, regardless of what it is, right? You want to see them being, shall I say, all or nothing. It's kind of how society is nowadays. And I think the one thing that separates us from, shall we say, some other fans out there, right? No, is that is we appreciate the game as a whole, right? It doesn't mean that we detract our love and our excitement for the Huskies, but I think we also have, and, and I think maybe, I don't know if it's because we're former players too, that we appreciate that, especially for, I mean, let's just take one guy again, Brian Noon for five years. Could you imagine the first three years of his career in CC and how different it looks than the last two? And to be happy for someone like that, well, that's because I think that's really when we talk about CC and the jumps that they've made and how they would have been happy for those players who've went through hell and back yeah. to, have a, to have a taste of success and to be able to, Walk away from the accident. Mind you, Brian, he was in his full gear. He was the only player all weekend to go to the to the press conference in full gear. He did not want to take that off. And if you looked at Chris Mayotte, too, his demeanor was like he was completely heartbroken, right? Um, and he's, it's not because he's heartbroken for himself. He's heartbroken for those players. They really wanted that game. He wanted to put some kind of stamp and to give those players something they could go, whether it's they've, they've got offers to play hockey elsewhere professionally or whatnot for some of these players that's it right so you want them to go out with something with a good memory right so uh, i think that's where we differentiate we 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 understand those intricacies we understand that it's a battle and it sucks that one's got to win one's got to lose and for uh for a program like cc that does have a lot of really good positivity that's been going their way the last couple of years it really would have been nice and both of our opinions see them get and, and really put something tenable on their resume, right? Definitely not trying to take away from what we want for St. Cloud. We definitely want to see them go all the way to Tampa. You're going to have to take out uh, some pretty good opponents. We'll dissect that later. But uh, at the end of the day, CC 
has just as an opportunity as any other team should to, to go and do that. And they're making a case for it. So it's happy. To, it's good. It's it's fair yeah. to be happy for both because they're different stories. There's different things that are going on, and for what CC has been through, right? It's the it's the true underdog. It's it's the guys who have really put in the work. They believe in the system, and that close to making something happen. Yeah, and it's the last time that Brian Yoon's ever going to wear that jersey, right, and take yeah. it off after the press conference. So obviously, means a lot on that sort of thing. It's going to happen to other teams. Let's head on over to the regionals here. We are finally yeah. getting ready. Uh, the Fargo Regional and the Manchester Regional will be Thursday, Saturday, Bridgeport and Allentown Friday, Sunday here. Our brackets are finally set after selection Sunday here, so let's jump right into them uh, and see what we think here. Um, well, let's start, uh, and I imagine – um, I think for MNCA, we might be doing brackets as well, too. So we might fill out some official ones we'll have to see. But on this show, for the purposes of this, we'll kind of just roll through them. Of course, starting the number one team in the country, I honestly, I think this is probably the most difficult regional. I do not think Minnesota 100%. got any bounce. In fact, I think both regionals that start on Thursday are probably the two toughest regionals to get out of, in my personal opinion. Uh, Canisius, of course, getting Minnesota, I would imagine... The Gophers probably take care of business there. I can't. Um, they wouldn't. Yeah, um, agree. Uh, other side of this bracket, Mankato, St. Cloud. Oh, um, so, boy. well, hold on. 2021, speaking of which, there were three Minnesota teams in the Frozen Four, Duluth, St. Cloud, and how about that? Minnesota State, right? Um, and then the only non-Minnesota team was UMass, and albeit, you know, with the 25% chance UMass comes out with the national championship. How about that, right? Um I'm just chuckling at the fact that it's like, well, if St. Cloud had lost to CC, they might have gotten a better bracket. <laughs> Seriously. So, you know, and it's it's almost like going, you know, I, I want to keep beating the dead horse, but mm-hmm. you never know, right? Um, but also to that fact, St. Cloud playing, the, you know, really again, some of their best hockey as of late. Um, they're going to go up a team, uh, up against a team in Minnesota State where they've had success. Graduates been a while since they faced each other. And uh, for fans of the podcast and Caleb likes to replay a certain Nolan Walker tip from a certain Seamus Dominic who uh, shot from the point. Um, either he's going to be vindicated or there's going to be a lot of gifts being piled his way <laughs> after Thursday. Um, you and, and let's let's be real. Any Mankato player that was on that team has this. Oh boy, there's some extra. There's some extra drive for this. Um, that's going into this game. And mind you, that talk about back and forth games. That was I, again. I was in attendance in Pittsburgh uh, in during that matchup, and what a matchup that was. Yeah. Uh, I don't expect anything less. Uh, before I give my predictions, Noah, I'm going to flip the script on you. What do you think happens in this hockey game? Well, I know who I'm going to be rooting for on social media. I, I can start there. Um, Let's make sure you word it properly. Yeah. Um, honestly, boy, this this matchup could give us anything. Um, honestly, yeah. Anything. Um, this might be an interesting take. Um, how about this for a score? Um, if you know anything about the historical piece. Yeah. I think St. Cloud wins this game 5-4. Yes, I'll say it again. I think St. Cloud wins yeah. this hockey game 5-4. to four. Yeah. Um, This one is going to be high scoring. It's going to come down to the wire. It's going to come down to goaltending. I think, you know, who does Brett Larson trust? Is, does Jackson Caster get the net again? He's getting, and, he's getting the net. There's and, no can, in my mind. and can Mankato 
match the offensive push that St. Cloud will have because they haven't been a high-scoring team for the majority of the season, but they've shown that they can put goals together in bunches and they can have late-game heroics. So I'm going to go with a high-scoring matchup. I think St. Cloud meets Minnesota to get out of the Fargo Regional. I think that's what we're going to see. How about you? I'm going to go 6-5 St. Cloud. I also do think this is going to be high-scoring, and I do think it's going to be back and forth. Um, Now, I will say this. If there is a three, because there was a couple of two goal leads at one point, if I remember correctly, in yep, Pittsburgh, two of them, yep. one each way, yep. one each way. If it gets to three, game over. If yep. any team goes up to three, that game is over. But anything that's two or less, that lead is not safe. Um, the one question I have, more so than goaltending, uh, especially in the Mankato side, is, and it, you alluded to the offense, but defensively too. Uh, yeah, they have a good defensive core, but I kind of feel like sometimes that they just they're just not physical enough. I just get yeah. the sense that you know Jake Livingstone is probably the one exception. He in mind he was a monster in last year's uh, national championship game against Denver, but beyond that, um, I kind of feel like Mankato's defenses have been undersized. I really do, um, and that's where I think St. Cloud can take advantage of the one thing that they did so well against North Dakota is you got to work them 200 feet. If you're if you're going to be Mankato, you got to make sure you work it below the blue, uh, below their goal line, and you got to wear them down. Um, they do have some offense, but they're not quite as skilled or as deep as St. Cloud is. And so, if you can make them defend, if you can tire them out, and then Jesus, just take it over from there, keep possession of the puck. I think you'll be just fine. Yeah. Uh, well, we have Minnesota St. Cloud in that matchup to get out of the Fargo Regional. Oh, boy. No idea. Oh, boy. Um, Especially yeah. when you're technically 1-0-1. and, oh and one, Technically, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. I I really don't know about this one. And th- again, I know we're the Huskies Wearing House podcast. I'd like to see St. Cloud come out of that regional. Being objective about this, I think, is really challenging here. Um. I'm going to say St. Cloud 3-2 overtime. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Just, um, because, just because Minnesota's first matchup of the weekend, as long as St. Cloud stays healthy and their game against Mankato ends in regulation, I think yeah. the Huskies have a chance to, to do that. Obviously, Minnesota coming off a loss against Michigan should handle Canisius pretty easily, but that might not be a helpful thing either. You're also St. Cloud there hasn't been a 116, you know, upset in, in Fargo in recent years, has there? <laughs> yeah, oh boy. Nope, oh um, boy. <laughs> I'm gonna go St. Cloud 3 2 in overtime. I, you know, again, fandom says I want St. Cloud, and, and objectively, they played Minnesota pretty well this year. Yeah, um, the one caveat to that is they're the Gophers are really good, <laughs> they're very good. <laughs> I can't in my in my honest cut. I can't I can't go with you. I can't. I think Minnesota wins it five to two. Ooh, I think okay. be a couple of team a couple of empty netters just because again that team has got so much skill in terms of their depth. Uh, Saint Cloud will have its hands full. Now, mind you, I, I'm curious as to how Brett Larson matches up the bottom six because um, really that's going to be the key. Now, mind you, Ryan Roseboro was in the game against Marucci where they won that game. Uh, he's not been in the lineup as of late. He's, he's not been kind of favored. Chase Brand was swapped out for Grant Sean in last night's championship game. Um, I thought Chase Brand had a bit of a tough night on Friday uh, in terms of his role. Now, granted, he's also sort of been coming back from an, in, from an injury too. Um, 
But that's really where it's going to be. The bottom six have got to be able to... you Because you can't shut them down. There's no way you can. But can you keep them to the outside? Can you limit their grade A's? And more importantly, puck management is going to be the key. Because if you give the golfers any sniff, any bad turnover, they'll make you pay. Or if you let them go one-on-one, um, they will essentially undress you in front of national TV and then put the puck <laughs> upstairs where Mama hides the cookies. So uh, as well, much as lovely. I know, right? Um, yeah, then point and laugh. Uh, <laughs> but, but honestly, though, seriously, the golfers are just that good. I think they, uh, they're <laughs> a lot of their players, whether they want them in or not, have shall we say this? This roster is probably going to look different very, very soon. Um, uh, we already have some, you know, some confirmation of some players, and I think that they want to go out with a bang. And I, I really just think that after going through Canisius, uh, and granted that might be the one sticking factor is if it's just that easy of a game. Um, who knows? And who knows? Maybe Canisius will pull out Holy Cross and, and channel some of those instincts and, and ruin the season. But they're just <laughs> too good. I, I think Minnesota comes out of this. And I, I do think that they get up to a point where it'll be comfortable. And uh, St. Cloud, although they get to a regional final, that's where their season will end. Okay, well, we're going to move over across the country because why not? Uh, Thursday, Saturday matchup, Manchester Regional. Uh, number four, Denver is the host team here. Uh, Cornell matches up against them in the first matchup. It's Western Michigan, Boston University on the other side there. Uh, I'm, I think this is my first reach here, Nick. Um, I'm going to say Cornell beats Denver. Really? Yeah. Oh. Really? Because I think Cornell has been trending in the right direction. Obviously, they lost one goal uh, you know, to Harvard here. Was not exactly enamored with Denver uh, the other night uh, against the Tigers. And Cornell in their second half has been an okay team. I think it's going to be a one-goal hockey game. But I'm going with the upset here. I think Cornell handles one of the number one seeds here. And we see our first one seed disappear. Um, I disagree. I think Denver <laughs> takes this one. I figured uh, you would. Well, and at the end of the day... Um, Denver approached the NCHC frozen faceoff exactly the same way last last year, and it got them a national championship. So I think there was some chess being you know involved. Yeah. Uh, again, you know you'll never hear that being said from the players or the coaches. Um, they'll you know say their their normal things. We'll put it that way. And I get it. I respect that. Um, at the same time, we both know that that was not the same Denver team that got them thirty wins in the season. We just know yeah, that. it was and, not the same way that they played. And my question is, how does Matt Davis play? And the question is, is Magnus Corona even going to be healthy? Um, that may be the one caveat to that matchup, right? And if it is true that Corona was just out for precautionary reasons, which I, I tend to really doubt, um, just because, again, the PR battles in today's day and age are, are that. Um, oh, boy, that's a that's a decision that David Carl has to make, right? Um, yeah. Uh, of course, Corona, the reigning NCHC goaltender of the year, um, somehow, but okay. Uh, he's still a good goaltender. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I, agree. I, I, I mean, it was Caden and Barico, but again, giving that to a freshman goaltender, even though they did it. Didn't they do that with Ludwig Pearson a couple of years ago? Didn't yeah. Well, all I know is that uh, Dryden McKay still has the Richter locked up this year, right? I know, like, right? <laughs> yeah. And Richter for, and for and the Holby, apparently, too. So, yeah. Um, crazy, right? No. So, uh, but so, D, so DU. Um, DU. I, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that take. Um, it'll be interesting, though. Actually, they're kind of in the, a similar position that St. Cloud was last year against Quinnipiac with they their goaltending situation. Um, of course, the other side of this regional, we do have an NCHE team, two of them in this grouping here. Western Michigan has BU. Who do you have in this one? I have Western in this one. Okay. Um, so it looks vastly different. I'll tell you that right yes, now. Yeah, pretty much. And and here's why Western is a little sour right now. Um, 
they have the highest goal scorer in the country in Jason Poland. Um, I do think they'll be chomping at the bit. Uh, Boston University, granted, although they won Hockey East, uh, didn't do it in convincing fashion. They needed two overtimes uh, to seal the semifinal and the final. Uh, not saying that they're a bad team, but I think Western is going to surprise them uh, and get their second ever NCAA tournament win and get to the regional final against Denver. Okay, I've got Boston University on the other side of that. I think that they are still a well-oiled machine. I know they had a clunker in really the month of probably February uh, moving into March, but I still think that they are a team to beat. Western Michigan is going to have a week off uh, in addition, which will make them healthy, but might not exactly help them. I have Boston University playing Cornell, and I have Boston University coming out of that. You have the two NCHC teams, Western Michigan and Denver. Who do you have coming out of that one? Denver. Uh, Denver's had Western Michigan's number. Um, I don't think that changes. And uh, I think Denver punches their ticket to Tampa Bay uh, for the Frozen uh, Frozen Four. Got it. All right. Well, the Bridgeport Regional, let's move over here. I would say if if there was a regional you wanted to be in, um, yeah. This might be the one. Um, yeah. So Mer- Merrimack uh, will be the road team for number two, Quinnipiac. Ohio State gets Harvard in what should be an intriguing matchup. Um, Merrimack, Quinnipiac. Um, what Bob do you got? Cats. Yeah, I do too. 20. Yep. Yeah, not no surprise there. I think I think just because of the fact that I even though Quinnipiac lost that close game, I think they're just too good of a well-oiled machine. Now Merrimack could definitely give them a run for their money. There's no doubt about that. Just based on the season that they've had, what a great success for that program doing some things for the first time in 20, 25, 30 years in some cases. So that'll be interesting on the other side of this here, Nick, Ohio state, Harvard, Harvard, um, I believe is the host team. They are the home team. Um, Who do you have? I have Ohio state. Yeah, I do. I do as well. Um, Again, I think that Harvard team again, will cause some fits here, but I, I think Ohio state just coming from the big 10, you know, certainly yep. has that matchup there. Uh, so we both have the Buckeyes and Quinnipiac in what will be a very interesting matchup. It's Q, U, and O, U. Who uh, who takes the victory? I take Q. It's uh, 007. Yeah, it's Q. Yeah, he's yeah. got all the tools, honestly. No, Q's defense is suffocating this year. And if there's one thing about Ohio State that's been sort of their Achilles heel is that they've been streaking offense at times. And I do think that they, going up against a defensive challenge like Quinnipiac, uh, will will struggle. Uh, the Bobcats going to the Frozen Four uh, here from the Bridgeport Regional. Yeah, your bracket and my bracket are exactly identical. I think as much as I think Ohio State can give them a game, Quinnipiac defensively has been a shutdown group, similar to what we saw from them last year. They just they, they have a lot of parts that work very well for them. Now, they've had some fits against some of these teams, like Dartmouth, for example, that scare they had about a month ago. So they have to bring their A game. That's the one thing is they have these random bouts where they're not consistent um, yep. occasionally. But I think overall, they've shown enough for me that I think that they uh, will be one of the teams represented in the Frozen Four. On the other side here, the Allentown Regional, our final one. Who do we have here? It is Colgate, the team who got their auto bid for winning their conference. They were number 28 in the country uh, versus number three, Michigan. Um, I would say the Wolverines probably come out of that one. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. No, okay, no, cool. you're not, you're not going to you know, get me to argue on that one. <laughs> um, and then Michigan Tech having Penn State here. Um, this is basically a middle of the pack matchup. This is like number eight to number 10 or 11 in the country here. Kind of a matchup. This is a, a, a tight one in terms of the pairwise seedings here. Um, who comes out of this one? Penn State. Okay. I say that quick, and, and here's why I say Penn State. Michigan Tech. Um, 
has not looked good lately. Uh, St. Thomas, I think, provided a blueprint on how to beat them a little bit. Um, they didn't get the job done. And then, uh, shall we say, they were kind of swept aside by Northern Michigan um, there in the semifinals of the CCHA. Um, so yeah. I've got Penn State with their offensive abilities uh, taking out uh, uh, taking out Michigan Tech. Michigan Tech, yeah. Um, and then I've actually got the exact same thing as you, and I've got Michigan taking the whole shebang uh, to enter the Frozen Four. You have the same thing as well, too. Okay, so I'm going to try to do the best I can here. So our bottom halves of the bracket look the same, and I can't remember, Nick. Um, we had this last year where we tried to predict this, and we were wrong based on the seedings. Um, so we should probably look this up here. Um, it used to be where they were reseeded, um, when it came to the seedings for the Frozen Four. Now, if that's the case or not, I'm pulling up the official bracket because there should be should be some rules here. Maybe there's oh, I not. Have, I have all number one seeds heading to the Frozen Four because I'm cool like that. So Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and I'm, and I'm trying to remember. Um, if, if they, it, sorry, go if, ahead. If, if they're reseeded or not, from what I can see is the brackets run the same where it's like, you know, whatever team comes out of that bracket is getting the other one. I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, so I don't really know how to do my bracket. Let me um, see. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, like I said, it's been a while. So, for example, for, to recap, while, while Nick is kind of doing some research here, on the bottom half of the bracket, Nick and I have uh, Michigan and Quinnipiac, the, the number two and number three teams in the country here. Um, my question is, well, actually, Nick, I don't think it would make a difference based on, well, yes, it would, because both of my picks are different. Of course, you have Minnesota and Denver coming out of your brackets. I have Boston University and St. Cloud State. St. Cloud uh, is number six in the pairwise. Um, coming into this, I believe Boston University is right above them. Uh, as far as the seedings, of course, uh, Boston University is a two seed, um, as is St. Cloud. BU has more wins, so I believe that they would be the higher seed out of those two groupings. Um, have we found any information uh, on this? No, in um, fact, what I'll do is just to try to make this a little bit easier, uh, yeah. look at some past brackets to see. Yeah, that would be smart, actually. Um, so again, like so again, like we talked about, um, for, to break it down for the regionals that are going to be happening here, Thursday um, is both the Manchester and Fargo regionals. So number one, Minnesota takes on Canisius um, at n 9 o'clock Eastern time. All times, I believe, are Eastern time here. So St. Cloud will have Mankato at 5 o'clock on that same day. 5.30 p.m. Eastern time is the puck drop. Number four, Denver against Cornell and Boston University against Western Michigan. And that one's at 2 o'clock. Uh, in Allentown, this one, of course, starting on Friday. These are Friday-Sunday brackets. The last two here, number three, Michigan, uh, will get Colgate. That will be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And then 5 o'clock Eastern on that Friday, Penn State will get Michigan Tech. On the other side, number two, Quinnipiac, 5.30 p.m. Eastern against Merrimack, and 2 p.m. Eastern, Harvard will play Ohio State in Bridgeport. So, And then for the semifinals, these will, of course, be April 6th. Uh, that will be a Thursday, uh, either at 5 or 8.30 for, of course, the matchups to go to the national championship game, and then 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 o'clock Central at Amelie Arena. The championship game on April 8th will be our decider. So, of course, we have that week off in between between the regional matchups and then, of course, 
the other ones. Nick, did you find any information or are we still struggle busting over here? So, so here's kind of how it went. So when I look at the bracket in 2022, uh, the two, the four number one seeds, Michigan one, uh, Minnesota State two, Western Michigan three, Denver four, right? What ended up happening in the semifinals is you, the Frozen Four ended up being Michigan, Denver, Minnesota, Minnesota State, right? So Minnesota actually wasn't a, um, they weren't a top, uh, they weren't a number one seed, right? So what ended up happening was is that Michigan did play Denver um, uh, as the one versus four and the Minnesota State at the bottom of the bracket um, played Minnesota the semifinal. So that was two versus, and I can't remember where Minnesota finished. I think it was like 10 or 11. Um, in right. that. So it appears to me that they're not necessarily reseeded, or at least it's like it should be one versus the lowest seed. Uh, yeah. So that's what it appears to me. I'm going to look at 2020 to 2021. So what, to- you're, so, so what you're saying is you're thinking that the bracket follows what we see on the actual bracket sheet. It doesn't actually get uh, No, I, I do think that in the Frozen Four it goes – Top seed versus bottom seed. The okay. Seeds. That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking is what's what happened. Sure. Um, I'm just looking okay. at 2021 here just to see if that was indeed the same way. Right. And obviously your bracket is a little bit cleaner, but still kind of ha- would have that crossover with yours because the number two seed Quinnipiac is in um, the bottom half of one of the brackets as well too. Um, so, <clears throat> so to. So it does sort of do both. So, for example, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Boston College, so crazy what two years does, right? We're the four number one seeds in 2021, right? Uh, so, again, uh, North Dakota losing to uh, Duluth. And then it was uh, Massachusetts coming out of that one, right? So right. Uh, UMass, and so it was UMass versus Duluth, which was that first semifinal game uh, versus, uh, so then Minnesota State. And so, so it does actually follow the bracket. Um, is what it more appears like. Uh, okay. So if that's the case, then that means we have our answer. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Let so, me let me yeah let me pull up this here so that I can get each of our brackets up. That makes a lot more sense and is a lot easier to follow. I suppose if you're trying to do an entire bracket and follow bracketology, it's maybe a little bit easier to do it in that um, particular regard. Bracket, so we look at the bracket. I did post this in our group chat um, for MNCAA. Um, that would mean that if it were the four, then that means it would be, it would. So essentially, it works out the same. So it, to me, it would be Minnesota, Denver. So it would be the Fargo region versus the Manchester region, and then it would be Bridgeport versus Allentown. So the, for me, it would be Michigan, Quinnipiac. So yeah. that is that's who you would have to face for yours. So that means yeah, your match yep. then would be. Yep. So. So I've got them here. So we're actually going to predict them right now. So like you mentioned, for you, yep. it's DU, DU as the road team versus Minnesota. And yep. then Michigan um, as the road team versus Quinnipiac. For me, Correct. it is the same on the bottom, Michigan versus Quinnipiac. But on the top, it would be St. Cloud as the road team faced in Boston University. Um, yep. So yeah, so for you, uh, Denver, Minnesota, who would you Gophers. have in that matchup? Gophers. Gophers, okay. So the Gophers make it to the championship game for you. And who do they get between Michigan and Quinnipiac? Michigan. Okay. And they then who Michigan. and then who takes the golden prize this year in your the bracket? The Wolverines. Wow. Michigan uh, following their repeated success from uh, the Big Ten championship, according to Nick, and that would be the finalist here. Um, I agree with you. I believe that Michigan is going to come out of that matchup that you mentioned. Um, however, 
I believe uh, that Michigan is going to get St. Cloud State, and I'm sticking with you. I'm going to say the Wolverines. The Wolverines get the Huskies uh, in that championship game, and unfortunately, St. Cloud, their second appearance in almost 95 years of program history is another loss in the national championship game. So, um, yeah, kind of an interesting little exercise here. I'm sure we're going to be vastly wrong when it comes to the brackets, as we always always are. So um, let me just plug those in there. Okay. So, yeah, of course, as we talked about with the pairwise, really the only team that uh, got pinched besides number 16, um, Michigan State, which we expected in the pairwise, was number 15, Alaska. Um, the Nanooks, unfortunately, not making the tournament. It's things I wonder if there's something that could ever be done for the independents to give them a chance uh, in terms of some well, sort there of is. conference things. Um, yeah. Is, um, again, that big push for a hockey conference out west. So, and then I, cause I think with Augustana being 62, I know there's been a lot more conversation about expanding the playoffs. I do think we're at that point where you could at least go to 20, maybe 24. I think we're close to that. And you kind of wonder the next couple of years and it would be inevitable if that Western college hockey conference does get established, uh, you would have to push it to 24, I think at that point. But I do think we're getting close to where that might actually start making sense. Um, because I think again, more, more teams, more eyes is just be better for the game. So. Right. Um, yeah. Kind of interesting how everything all shook out. So why don't we move over onto the women's side, the women, uh, of course, their last, uh, week of the season uh in terms of playoff the frozen four of course uh held at amsville arena in duluth um i don't know how i expected it to go but it didn't go how i expected it to go i'm just gonna say it like that um (laughs) (laughs) northeastern versus ohio state three nothing victory for the buckeyes uh on that friday night and then wisconsin playing minnesota in the late game wisconsin three to two in overtime finding their way back in that one um, and then earlier today on Sunday, it was Ohio State playing host to the Badgers, and the Badgers a sneaky one to nothing victory for another national championship under Mark Johnson. Uh, this Badgers team just refuses to go away when the heat gets turned up in the kitchen. I think they've shown that over the past couple of years. Um, for whatever reason, you know, they didn't have the greatest of seasons by Wisconsin standards. I'd say it all worked out for them in the end. Uh, were you surprised? Are you not no. surprised? Should we should we not be surprised at this particular no. juncture? Because we said, I think even I made the comment last weekend that you know they don't necessarily have the regular season numbers like they normally have, but they have playoff experience, and so it wouldn't have been a shock if they had gotten to this uh, to the championship and then won it. And here we are, right? And to throw a, a sidetrack into this, you kind of wonder if Mark Johnson is going to be looking at the men's side at all, um, just because of how much success he's had at the women's side, uh, you know, has he accomplished all he has, or does he like his spot? Does he like being in that conversation every year, or will he jump over to the men's side? Um, Not sure if even Wisconsin is looking at that, but uh, this is why he is the coach that he is. He he can take a team that, you know, is, is not the same every year and get them to play, that the right way at the right time and they do it again wisconsin again another ncaa championship and again we shouldn't be shocked it's just mark johnson how he coaches yeah definitely i it, again I, this wisconsin team you just like you mentioned you can't really count them out of anything i mean it, it they finally you know continue to show that success that they've been showing uh night in and night out and again like i said when we talked about the wcha standings they they did not 
exactly look like the team that you know they they have been in years past but when it came to playoff time they surprised us maybe ever so slightly based on those results but at the end of the day they were able to take care of business and it was mighty impressive and just like that the wisconsin badgers another national championship for them under their belt so congratulations to them and that program of course mark johnson doing a wonderful job with that group and that is it for women's hockey in the NCAA, of course, we'll probably dive into some stuff in the offseason as far as the St. Cloud State women's team and any WCHA additional transfer portal things that we see. If you want some more information on the transfer portal, we'll, we, of course, touched on that uh, in our previous episode as well. So well worth a listen. Last topic in the main portion of the show, the Minnesota Wild here. Um, as, as we are as we are kind of rolling through this, uh, the Minnesota Wild getting their 40th win of the season today over the Capitals, 40-22-8, 88 points on the year. They are one point out of first in the Central. Uh, of course, they're sitting in second right now. They vaulted back over Colorado, who's two points behind them in third, five points out of the first wild card spot, and seven points out of the second wild card, which, of course, is Winnipeg. Um, they come in now with a plus 19 goal differential here um, in the past week. Of course, they played Arizona, kind of a bit of a bitter shootout loss for them in that one in a game that they probably should have won five to four. Um, and then St. Louis, what a hockey game this was. Yes. Uh, eight to five, a victory against the Blues in St. Louis. Boston, they lost five to two last night and then beat Washington five to three today. That loss to Boston finally snapped a 14 game point streak um, for the Minnesota Wild. And of course, they got it right back today. Seven two and one in their last 10 Colorado of course is now two points behind they have two games in hand to the abs Winnipeg is seven points behind they have the same number of games as the wild of course as we mentioned the Jets in the second wild card spot um, the goal differential for the wild over the past week is now plus one um, and we're still awaiting the return of Kirill Kaprizov but it sounds like Marcus Foligno is inching closer and some other guys maybe Jonas Brodin getting more healthy this week What's on tap for this group? They have New Jersey on the road on Tuesday. They're in Philly on Thursday and have Chicago at home on Saturday. Um, and what should we encapsulate most out of this entire last week is that Marc-Andre Fleury would have been fun to see the fisticuffs and that Jordan Bennington is an absolute tool. I think that that's... <laughs> Well, okay. we're coming out of this yep. two-game suspension for him, but uh, yeah, what were you, what was your assessment of that wild game in St. Louis? That the Wild were down three-one at one point. Uh, you know they they definitely looked a bit out of sync uh, early on, and then certainly uh, kind of got themselves back into it with some with some quick goals. And that's the thing with Jordan Pennington. Uh, you, know, you talk about goalies being a, a different animal. Uh, you know, Jordan mm-hmm. Pennington might be having coffee next to Ilya Brizgalov soon if he doesn't. <laughs> You know, start stopping the puck. Um, he also needs to stop, you know, with those antics, right? You know, there's one thing, you know, there's chirping and things that are going on. He just seems to make it more prominent than maybe we or maybe most of his peers care for. Um, and again, after uh, he, Ryan Hartman scored the goal, he kind of and, and there's there was a little bit of you know, shall we say, in game uh, chess player with Hartman going through a little bit with him, uh, but it wasn't egregious by any means. And then Bennington, obviously, knowing that, uh, you know, this the Blues have not had the best of seasons, uh, goes and, you know, goes right after him with the stick in the blocker and gets uh, penalized uh, right there from the Department of Player Safety. Uh, 
and uh, you kind of wonder what his future is with the organization. Uh, you know, I think that's the bigger question uh, because right now Bennington with his numbers and with these antics on top of it, you kind of wonder what St. Louis is thinking. Now, granted, they're, uh, they, they've already kind of told us where they're going after some uh, big trades yeah. this uh, past season. Uh, but you kind of wonder if that's the mentality, if they're going to be making sweeping changes that mean Bennington is part of those changes as well as you know the trade deadline is only really the start of that the offseason and the free agency market can also be a, a big sort of mixing pot for players uh you know coming and going so something to keep an eye on yeah tough contract to move and a tough personality to move i think at this <sighs> point unfortunately you know it's funny i think mark andre flurry is all of us this is the thing is that bennington kind of keeps asking for it and i think flurry just kind of wanted to be the first guy to feed him a couple and yeah. <laughs> you know that's the thing is at some point He's going to meet somebody. It's probably going to be an outskater is what it's going to end up being. Probably. And yeah. Bennington's going to flip his helmet off and he's going to be in for more than he bargains for. I, I think that's it, how that one is going to end. Um, but on the other side, a guy that he wouldn't want to meet right now, Ryan Reeves, who has been really rolling as of late, as have the Minnesota Wild. Um, yeah, that fourth yeah. line. Yeah. Fourth line getting a lot of trust here. He's really impressed me as of late. Um, you know, Matt Dumba had a one heck of a hit in this game against Washington. Even in the game against Boston, the Wild, two disallowed goals. They had a couple of chances. All in all, this Minnesota team continues to roll. They have a chance for first in the Central Division, which about three weeks ago was looking like they were getting ready to be sellers of the trade deadline, right? Like, I mean, it was pretty crazy, the drastic change that we've seen from this group. Honestly, I'd say what you want about Bill Guerin. His moves... I think of the trade deadline, you're seeing the absolute dividends. Marcus Johansson has been otherworldly for this team. Started. And honestly, Started. I'm I cannot believe I'm saying this. And maybe I'm phrasing this wrong, just like my social media platforms, but I'm almost nervous to see Kirill Kaprizov come back into the lineup because I feel like Minnesota almost kind of depended on him a little bit too much. And now okay. they've now they've found a way to get that secondary scoring and play as a unit again. And they've almost been more effective with him out of the lineup in some senses. Now, hopefully when he comes back, they can keep that rolling and infuse him seamlessly back into that unit with Zuccarello and they're going to be fine. But Dean Evison suddenly has a great problem on his hands. If these groups can continue to produce at the way that they have been um, and guys start to get healthy again, I don't know this wild team. I like, I'm not saying they're a Stanley cup contender, but they are to me right now, the way that they've been playing, they are a team that can make it to the second round. I I'll, I'll go one above you. I think they are a dark horse Stanley cup ch- uh, contender. I really do. Uh, with Gustafson and Flory, uh, Flory's, playing some of his best hockey all year. Gustafson, uh, besides the one, you know, sort of bump in the road in Arizona has looked again, like a top 10 goalie in the NHL. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I talked about this uh, with some of the other, uh, some other folks uh, on this too, is that, you know, when Kaprizov was scoring, what they say in Bally State, like 42 or 40 some odd percent of their goals uh, yeah. before he went out. Uh, I, and I think, it's just for a player, it's naturally, when you see some uh, guy that's got that much talent, it's not that you purposely mentally say I'm not going to score or you just you, you just sort of I don't know if relax is the word Noah but you sort of like okay we're going to be fine right whereas yeah. when he went down it's like okay I've got to make something happen right like I've got to figure out a way to get to get creative to maybe get out of my comfort zone and to really try to push some things on offense right and to your point 
Yeah, right. It's 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 almost like the reverse Chuck Fletcher, where you know you you bring in a trade of <laughs> Marty Hansel and Ryan White to, because you feel like you're trying to shore up a Stanley Cup run, and that and it backfired, right? Um, yeah. But what what did that do, right? It was just it, it sort of messed up the chemistry, right? And, and that's kind of what you're alluding to is you know they, they've sort of figured out a way now. Is it is it more line chemistry or is it just the mental preparation of the game? I think it's more on the latter, right? Where I get what you're saying. But at the same time, it forced them to choose to play the game a different way. And as long as you can communicate to the players like, hey, just because he's back, don't play different, right? Because if we can be a two, because Matt Boldy, holy cow, without that long 200-foot bouncing puck off the post, he could have had four goals, and he looked phenomenal, along yeah. with Marcus Johansson and Eric Sinek. That line looks really, really good. Um, you've got a you've got a team now that's got a top six, and with Marcus Foligno and Duhame had a goal, you've got a potential oh, top oh, nine. How about Duhame's goal today? Oh, yeah. that backhander was sexy. Um, and that's oh, the thing, too, is on top of that, the Gus bus has been rolling and Mark Andre Fleury has won his last seven starts. Like, yeah. So, so you, you got offense, you've got a pretty good defensive structure. I thought, I think Klingberg has looked fairly okay. Um, besides a couple of, uh, I know I roasted him a bit last week, but, um, and with his uh, performance in San San Jose, but, uh, uh, you can see some adjustments being made now. Again, Kalen Addison has been scratched. John Merrill was scratched today. So, uh, he had a bit of a tough night, uh, against Boston. So, uh, these are good problems to have, right? Of course you, you feel for the players that are in the press box, but at the end of it, uh, Dean Evison is trying to shore up. I mean, there's 12 games left in the season, right? Uh, yeah, and you got a shot to have uh, to win your division, which seemed not even possible about a month ago. So, uh, what a great spot for the Wild to be in. Now, again, keep pushing. Um, Kaprizov will probably be back until either last week, and you kind of wonder if they'll just keep him out till the playoffs. Uh, yeah. But they're in a good spot. But again, you know, they ain't over till it's over. But you got to like where this team is at and how they're playing. Yeah, a couple of games left. Obviously, we're approaching here. I believe we're at 70 games for the Wild now. We're just close to that. So, really, you only got 11, 12 games left before we hit Stanley Cup playoff time. That will do it for the main portion of the show. We will head on for a very abbreviated extra ice session where we will talk about the team that hosts the Minnesota Wild on television, Valley Sports. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session, the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 154. Nick Maxson with myself, Noah Grant. Nick, uh, Valley Sports, uh, actually a, a slightly recent employer host, whatever you want to call it, of you, Great actually. Science, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Hockey Day, Minnesota. Um, although, although technically, I think I was employed by St. Cloud um, and because Valley just kind of picked up the feed, but eh. yeah. I don't know. You were there, and that's what I think. I, four years ago, of course, Sinclair Broadcasting, which is, um, you know, the purchaser of Fox Sports, and then um, their subsidiary that kind of spun off Diamond Sports Group. Um, Nine point six billion dollars was the deal four years ago for this entire thing. This past week, Chapter Eleven bankruptcy for essentially that holding group. Um, it, Not Chapter Seven, which is good. So yeah, officially in the Southern District of Texas for the U.S. Bankruptcy Court. Um, they defaulted on $140 million to their creditors about a month ago, which we kind of alluded to and kind of started this whole train rolling. Um, chapter 11, like you mentioned, why that's important is they can keep operating and negotiate how to divide up their value. And they do that from automatic stay, which is the most important part. Um, and 
essentially allows them to maintain their assets and their TV rights to keep the business afloat as it tries to figure out how to navigate the next step of this, get more cash, reduce expenses, you know, move contracts, whatever it has to be. Um, obviously um, affecting the hockey market, even more so probably the baseball market uh, too, as we kind of move forward into the summer here. But Nick, what do, what do fans make all of this? And really, as we'll kind of allude to, where are the Twins and Wild going to be at the end of all this? So I, I think to better answer that, you have to look at what they proposed in the bankruptcy filing, right? So in other words, it's kind of what MGM did. Um, so for those who followed the MGM properties, right, uh, down in Vegas, right? Everybody knows there's MGM resorts and then there's MGM properties, Interesting, right? So in other words, they were facing a similar problem where the, and this was more of a pandemic restructuring because they, I mean, let's be real, they got punished big time with the lack of tourism. Uh, so to sort of restructure, they split off the MGM like resorts into like MGM resorts and MGM properties. And it was, I, I, don't, I don't know the intricacies of it to be completely ex exactly honest with you, but essentially it, it took some of the liability off of the MGM resorts and did it to the properties. And they were able to uh, essentially work out a deal. And, you know, now they're, uh, I know they've been selling off some of the properties too. I know they just sold, uh, sold out the Monte Carlo. Now will be the hard rock uh, down in Vegas. Essentially Sinclair is doing the same thing, right? Is Sinclair owns diamond sports LLC. Diamond sports is Bally's parent company, right? Well, what Bally's is proposing or diamond, I should say, is they're going to be essentially splitting off into their own deal. Uh, so Sinclair is not going to be their you know, their business daddy anymore, if you want to call it that way, uh, for to quote, to quote John Oliver, right? I got you, AT&T. I got you. No. Uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. Wow. And <laughs> but, that's our show. <laughs> I know. But at the same time, that's, that's exactly what they're doing, right? And in doing so, uh, that's part one. Uh, part two is, how did they get there? So Sinclair, when they initially purchased... Uh, all the Fox regionals, right, which were essentially already sort of trying to go to ESPN and the Walt Disney Corporation before they swooped in and put a big giant check down and, and bought everybody up and uh, all at once, um, is they inherited a lot of this debt from Fox Sports. So this was inherited debt, too. And they really thought that with... Uh, a kind of a streaming package and certain things that they would be able to uh, sort of mitigate the debt and actually turn a profit. Uh, that didn't happen. I, mean, I think every Bally's, uh, you know, sort of subscriber, especially to their, will tell yeah. you that, that, that digital role has been less than smooth. And, uh, and that's uh, why don't we pause there for just half a second, if I can pause it a sure. question, because yeah, their app has really struggled and now they're trying to make people pay for that subscription service on a top direct, of that. A direct not going through a cable company or a satellite company. Yeah. Do you think if the streaming package had had a little more oomph and a little more pizzazz behind it and a little more efficiency, do you think that they would have been able to turn a profit or do you think they were kind of doomed from the start based on where TV is headed in general? I think it's a miscalculation on both, if I'm being honest. Um, I, I know that cord cutting uh, was, it's, uh, it's, it's been an issue, right, for the industry as a whole for, shall we say, the bigger part of 10 to 15 years. Um, 
and I think they really thought that with their direct to consumer package that they would be able to mitigate that. Um, and again, with the delays in rolling it out, and then also let's not forget that their big beef with Comcast, right, is that they've lost a lot of subscribers um, and money to their beef with uh, with uh, Comcast. They have not been able to broadcast on Comcast. Ask people in the Denver uh, television market; they can't view Avalanche games uh, on Bally Sports. It's it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. So uh, and topple that and the other thing that hurts here too is uh let's talk about the nhl tv rights and their national thing right if you have an espn plus and you you get local blackouts too i I think the nhl was wrong in that so they're not helping themselves with that either and and just to put a little bit of a tense on that too um nhl and major league baseball share the same marketing and television production company in new york so um how funny is this to be all kind of (laughs) together right now mind you the nba is also involved in this too a bunch of those teams so um this is a very this is a huge problem right um and to summarize it very briefly uh you're talking about uh rights payments that are at stake that means the nhl which is a hung is is money hungry uh could that affect their salary cap you know dang well that they're only raising it a million because this is part of that i think they would have been ready to boost it by three to four but now with this and some of those payments that they could miss i think they had to squash it back down again they did uh, they're not yeah. going to admit it publicly but that's part of the the formula that they're you know going through in their heads is if this thing folds and i don't, I don't think it would fold out of nowhere but i do think that with the chapter 11 they're going to get a year and if they don't start making some type of progress uh then you're going to have a doomsday and and i think there's going to be more than just the nhl uh but for television as an industry there's going to be a huge ripple effect if that does indeed happen yeah so if you're uh if you're an anthony lapanta fan and he's grown on you like he has with me over the years uh and you want to see him calling wild hockey games my question to you simply is at the end of the day does he still have a home at Bally or does it become something else? What ultimately happens if you're a wild fan and you're watching your wild games, where are they going to be? Who's going to be a part of it? And what the heck is going to happen to Bally sports? So this is probably the best question because we started to get an answer on this before Sinclair swooped in, right? There was talks of essentially re you know, sort of taking back from the dead MSC. Um, for those who don't remember MSC or Midwest sports channel was where the Gophers, Frank Mazzocco, that was his deal. MSC, the North stars. Um, that was a very, that was a more, that was a, not a super regional, but essentially was a regional sports market before Fox sports. That was where it was. Right. So, and there were talks about the poll ads potentially being sort of the owners and being the, the money to front that project. I think you're going to see, a conversation and they're probably honestly already happening now that we've officially filed bankruptcy with some maybe some local people that got some pockets of if this thing starts to trend in the direction where you know shall we say that you know the imminent death of Bally's is is there you know you know that the leagues will have to step in with some cash but you're kind of wondering too if some of these other players that are out there might jump on the bandwagon and try to essentially create their own regional markets i think that's where we're headed. I don't think yeah. you're going to see these big conglomerates like Fox or Bally's anymore. You're going to yeah. see so, a localized thing like altitude. Yeah. I was going to say, you're going to start to see altitude, root sports in Seattle, things like that, and start to yep. move back that, that direction. This maybe is, isn't the worst thing. I think a little personality, a little flair uh, can't hurt in that sort of thing. Nick, was there anything else that you wanted to add about Bally sports? 
the only thing I will say is, you know, they're not, I think the big fear for a lot of folks is they're just going to shut down the lights. You know, it's going to be an unannounced thing. I can't imagine that happens, mm-hmm. um, especially with how much uh, people and money are involved in these types of things, especially with television rights. You know that the leagues, the NBA, the MLB, and NHL won't want to have that either. So um, I, I would say be calm in that for sure, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Certainly would agree. Of course, uh, the Frozen Four is just three weeks away. The regionals starting this Thursday here in just a couple of days in the Colin Shockey World on the men's side. Women's hockey officially done, and we have our national champion. Congrats to the Wisconsin Badgers. The Minnesota Wild, of course, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Chicago this upcoming week, and the Iowa Wild also in the AHL getting down to the wire as well. For Nick Maxson, I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon in the den. Coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.